Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Culture Eat Strategy with myself, Jamie J. And we are joined today by an amazing guest. Um, Lee Carraher is the president of Double Forte and uh, doubleforte.com. We're going to be talking a little bit about none other than comfy culture. Um, and if you haven't heard, uh, Two people on her staff, uh, David Blackburn and Duncan Lowe, do a wonderful job on a podcast that they have called Millennial Minded Podcast. Um, and you can learn more by going to millennialmindedpodcast.com. But we're going to be talking to Lee today about company culture. And as you know, um, I love uh, my slogan, Leading with Kindness. And I think Lee uh, definitely embraces that and allows her staff to kind of... Uh, speak up and um, provides a nice environment in order to do so. I think this is huge for uh, growth and for participation, especially for millennials. I think there's a lot of myths floating around about millennials. And and uh, I happen to think that Lee is probably going to agree with me on this. But without any further ado, please allow me to introduce you to uh, Lee. How are you doing? Jamie J. I just can't to say those together. Jamie J. So good to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. It's a pleasure and an honor to, to have you on the show here today uh, on the podcast. And, and, you know, I wonder maybe uh, if we could just jump right into this, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, who you are and your background, because I mm-hmm. cannot wait to dive into uh, your belief system and uh, a little bit more about your own company culture. Sure. So I'm Lee Carraher. I'm the founder and president of Double Forte. Double Forte is a 16-year-old public relations and social media firm headquartered in San Francisco. We have office in New York, and we have people sort of scattered around the country as well. Um, I'm also an author. Um, I've written two books about company culture and how to work with intergenerational teams, which um, sort of came out of my experience being uh, an entrepreneur and then also being in um, several sort of mastermind groups with other entrepreneurs in the Bay Area and also in New York. Um, And I share a lot of how I failed dramatically and then how I figured it out, Um, (laughs) frankly, particularly with millennials. Um, and I just, you know, the um, what I'm all about, my agency is here to help great companies do great things in their categories. We have a no jerks rule. We, you know, mm. we're independent on purpose. And um, then from a, if I can do anything to help people get work and then have great places to be and great places to work and then help people have great careers, I will, because I just am here to help you and other people do that. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing. So I'm wondering, what, what is your kind of definition of company culture? Um, 
Well, the culture is behavior. Culture mm-hmm. is just what is the behavior that guides interactions among people. Um, and it's based on value system that is articulated through those behaviors. So you might say, you know, value is everybody picks up the trash or a value is everybody respects the boss, right? Yeah. Depending on what the value is. And then you assign a behavior to that value. So if everyone respects the boss, well, don't talk to that person unless you talk to, depending on how it's interpreted, right? Mm-hmm. Or if everybody picks up the trash, it's, you know, no matter what title you are, if you see a piece of trash, you pick it up. Um, it's about the behaviors that are decided on by the group uh, or the boss, depending on that, um, yeah. that uh, bring your values to life in your organization. That's fantastic. When, at what point during this 16-year career here at mm-hmm. Double Forte did you establish your core values? Oh, day one. Day one. So See, that's I started impressive. the company uh, after having built another company for a much larger company and then having led a group of about 750 people when I was in-house at a video game company and all that kind of stuff. So um, and I'd worked with several professional coaches, executive coaches in my career before that. And when I started the company, I had a partner, Dan, who, who uh, left pretty well, much, well, he's been gone longer than the company's been half a year old. So I'm just trying to think. He left maybe at four or five years, which is always his goal to work in really big firm. And mm-hmm. I'd already done the big firm. I have no interest in being in a big firm. Um, but we decided day one, because uh, we hated agencies. <laughs> and we were just okay if we're gonna have an agency we're gonna have an awesome agency and what does what defines an awesome agency what defines an opposite awesome agency is the kind of work you do the kind of people you work for and the kind of people you work with um and and then you know those things that make a great day you know makes a great day to have everybody say hi to each other makes a great day not to be respected it makes a great day to be heard so we decided those early early on um literally day one before we even started incorporating um, Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure we were on the same page we knew we were we'd worked twice together before but sure um and those those rules haven't changed, although the expressions have over time, because uh, obviously it's a very different place today than it was when we started. Sure, sure. So uh, about how many uh, staff do you have now? Uh, 27 today. 27. Congratulations. And so was there any changes in the way you led starting out to after scaling? Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So I started the company. When we started the company, 2002, uh, in San Francisco, it was just like, you know, uh, dead center of the dot-com implosion. Mm-hmm. And we decided we were only going to hire people with 10 years of experience. Um, <clears throat> one, there were lots of them who didn't have work. And two, we were sort of tired of complaining about Gen Xers. Um, <laughs> and... Then uh, my assumption was, I, I, I made two assumptions. One was that people who had 10 years of experience were much more efficient at doing the work we had to do. Uh, and I was right about that. We get things done so much faster because we weren't training other people, because we already knew mm-hmm. what to do, because we, you know, all that kind of stuff. And my other assumption was that ten year, people with 10 years experience minimum would know what to do all the time and I wouldn't have to lead them. Well, that was totally false. Mm. totally false uh you always have to provide a direction and um 
a strong leadership, no matter how old your people are, no matter how much experience they have. Um, when in 2008, when the world economy came to a crashing halt, uh, we looked at the business and decided uh, we need to change the business model because uh, you always should do that when you when your company has a small its own uh, sort of financial earthquake or a world earthquake or anything in between. You should look at the business model because probably the business model that got you into that situation is not the business model that will take you out of that situation. And when we did that, we realized we were going to run out of people who had 10 years of experience, only had 10 years of experience. So -hmm. our philosophy was always bring people in from the bottom of your, of your eligibility and pretty much between 2000 and 2004, almost nobody got hired in public relations in San Francisco. Wow. So, we were about to hit a five-year donut hole of eligibility, um, and we were like, oh, well, that's not good. So we decided to hire uh, people right out of college and sort of build our, own, um, build our own future with our own staff. Didn't think anything of it. I had had uh, 700 and 600 people uh, work for me in the two previous jobs I'd had. Didn't think, you know, I'm good at it. Most of the people I'd, who would ever work with me were much younger than me, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. then um, in 2010, so it took us a long time to start hiring again, blah, blah, blah. But in 2010, we hired um, six millennials. I didn't know what a millennial was, but six young people. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> younger than me people. Uh, in about six weeks. And then within three months, they were all gone. And one person wow. we walked and the five other left. And I never had 100% failure in recruiting. Well, recruiting wasn't the problem. Retaining people. Never. My mm-hmm. whole life. And one person could be a bad hire. But I couldn't have made six bad hires. So we decided, I was like, you know what? It must be us. It's got to be us. Can't be them. I mean, one of them could be them. But six of them can't be them. So I started looking at the, you know, looking to see what the situation was, found out what a millennial was, saw how much terrible things were said about this generation, which of course is empirically impossible, and decided to ignore it all because it was so negative. And then um, went on a quest to figure it out myself. Um, And then that uh, changed the way we lead um, in terms of, it's not really lead, it's, it's changed the, well, yeah, I guess it is leading. Yeah. It's changing the way you lead in terms of uh, when you provide information um, and how much you ask for input um, and how you hold asking for input and high expectations in, uh, as equal weight so that um, you can actually have a business. That's very interesting. Uh, you you do hear a lot of things. Like there's stats out there. The the average you know uh, millennial is looking at a new job every every couple of years. Yeah. Um, and so d- I'm I'm a really big fan of workflows, systems, mm-hmm. and processes. And and I'm my favorite mantra is do something as if it's the last time I'm ever going to do it. Meaning mm-hmm. I write down step by step how I do it so that mm-hmm. when I do. Uh, 
uh, have the opportunity to bring someone on board. Um, they don't have to figure out what's in my head. Right. Um, they see exactly the way that I would like to do things. And what's really neat is after they work through that system, it's, it's also for in my, in, in my personal uh, experience, it's really helped expedite the learning curve. Mm-hmm. And what I found is they actually take that workflow or that process and, and, and drastically improve it. Absolutely. Um, which I find very, very helpful. Um, to How very open-minded of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've, it I've taken the biggest, I, complaint. the biggest complaint about millennials, uh, from older people, uh, is that they come in day one and they think they know what they're going to do and they're going to change the world and change my process. Um, and most of the time your process can be improved. Mm. Uh, and what I tell everybody is say, say, okay, you know, sorry, I know you're frustrated, but you know, this group, They've done things so differently than you've ever done them. They see new ways of doing things like off the bat. And so just tell them that you want to talk to them about their ideas, about how to improve the process, but you want to talk to them in 30 days about it. Do it my way first so you understand all the steps I've created and all the intricacies and all the interdependencies that are in the system. And then in 30 days, we're going to talk about it. And I'd love to hear your ideas about how to improve. But if you don't know how to do it my way first, you can't really understand. You know, you just, you can't, someone else cannot see the interdependencies. So I I always tell people, live with, you know, do it my way first, and then we're going to improve it together. Um, And that sort of takes the air out of the tires on uh, for both the person who wants to improve something right away because they know they're going to have their time. Mm -hmm. And also for the person who may be offended that, you know, someone showed up day one and said, I can improve this. Um, Because basically by the time you get to those 30 days, the person who's going to improve something has changed their mind on how to improve something. And the person who uh, has had the old system um, has earned the respect of the person, you know, has, has seen sure. someone go through the 37 steps um, and knows at least that they had respect for doing the same thing. And that's just half the battle, right? Just half the battle. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you, you're setting the expectations early, right? Uh, you, know, I mean, so they, you cannot they, set expectations early enough or often enough. <laughs> oh, yes, often enough. That's a that's a good key to add on to that because mm-hmm. things change, right? Absolutely. So now, when did you start doing this? Because uh, it, it, it would seem to me, and I might be uh, uh, kind of uh, asserting my my thoughts on this a little bit, but the the first six that you hired you said you lost all mm-hmm. uh, um now did you have something like this in place then or is this no. what you took from that from that so uh-huh. basically what we what we you know what i found out in all the interviews was that while um people you know what our process was which was sort of not necessarily do it my way but mm-hmm. not we weren't asking for a lot of input because we had come from, you know, people who you knew what the hell to do. We didn't have to ask for input. Everyone was just like, go do that, make it happen. Right. Um, right. And we had sort of forgotten. Uh, we really sort of the muscle memory of how to teach and, and uh, move a group that has very different levels of experience had not been exercised in about mm. six years, seven years. Right. So, yep. um, the the muscle memory of how to work with people with different levels of experience is something we have to um, always exercise because it's different than working with a team that's a well-oiled machine that knows each other in and out and who has, has been through the trenches, right? Exactly. Um, 
So you really have to um, have a different style of work. You know, if you think about like SEAL teams, right? SEAL teams, they know each they're together 24-7. They go through repetitive training, muscle memory, muscle memory, muscle memory. Yeah. And then when they get into the field, they very much talk to each other, right? Well, you have to do this, have the same point of view when you're not, you know, saving the world, but just doing a project um, exactly. to make sure that if you aren't always doing this, you know, a lot of us aren't doing projects same in, same out every day that you take the time to uh, set the context. Why are we doing this project? Why? How does it contribute to the betterment of our, our company or to the client or whatever it is? What happens if we don't succeed, guys? What is success? Can we improve in success? And then all the people on the team, here's everybody's roles. So, you know, we're all counting on each other. And Joe, you're a new man on the totem pole. You may feel like your work doesn't matter. But if your work doesn't happen, my work cannot happen. If my work can happen, then Sally's work can happen. If Sally's work can happen, then the whole thing falls apart. So we're all equally important to the project regardless of the role we have and when you can explain those you know why are we doing the project what is success what happens when uh, success doesn't happen and then how are we all dependent on each other to make this happen you know so much of the confusion and questions and um uh you know disgruntlement around project management goes out the door and if you can do that it at the does. beginning just gonna always do it at the beginning and then the most important thing you can do in that situation is to ask that question okay, here's success is defined by me or by somebody else. How can we improve that success? What would, what would you, you know, how can we, can we beat the scoundrel? You know, are there ways we can beat the schedule guys? What do you think? Um, Is to ask for people's input because even if you get crickets back from the team, you have asked the question and no one can say you didn't ask the question. Right. And that's very, very important. (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and and it's nice to, especially the way that you phrase that. How you asked how, and I think that's a really important uh, word. How I think that invites a lot more participation than yeah. you know. I've heard a lot of leaders say, "Okay, I need you to do this and this and this." But if right. you can just tweak that a little bit and say, "How is the best way to go about this?" and, and that offers up opportunity and, and creativity, especially in, in what you do. I mean, creativity is kind of synonymous with what you're doing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're constantly problem solving because we have mm. a plan and in public relations, a plan never gets executed the way it was written down because we're, <laughs> we're asking other people who we do not pay and we do not control to do something for us, right? Uh, mm. And we have to do it in a way that is good for them too. Right, just can't be good yeah. for us. So there's always, right. you know, it's a hundred percent negotiation. You know, as soon as we get a plan, it's like that's where we should be. Now we figure out where we are in comparison to that. Yeah. So yeah. in our business, you know, problem solving and understanding where you are against what the goal is is super important, so that you can keep triangulating. Yeah. I, I love that. It, it, it's the same uh, a saying I heard from one of my buddies the other day. He says, "I've never seen a business plan fail on paper." <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why management consultants exist, and they put beautiful, you know, binders together, and they sit on the wall, and they go, "That was wonderfully done." Now let's get to the reality, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no disrespect to the management consultants in the room, so. Yeah, yeah. And it, one of the other things that, that I, I, I enjoyed listening to you just there was 
when you have those initial discussions or those meetings or you know you're taking on a new project one of the one of the things you, you said is very good about asking you know questions in the beginning and making sure that you give an opportunity to answer and uh it's you also talked a little bit earlier about having the ability to make sure when when you that there is some direction giving. You have to have a starting point. And it, I had a conversation earlier today with a gentleman that was looking for a video editor. And uh, he goes, well, and I said, systems and processes, are they in place? And I was helping him out kind of mm-hmm. along. He says, well, not really, but you know, I want to get somebody that knows what they're doing. And I said, well, of course you want to get somebody experienced that <laughs> no, knows what they're doing. get someone you don't know what they're doing. Pay someone to you, know what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you don't want to tell them exactly how to do the editing, but you want to tell them what you want out of that exactly right and so to differentiate those little things i think is is really really important and i think that the um the best cultures are high input low democracy cultures and what i mean by that is that you know the we know there's so much data on this we know we make better decisions when we have a wide range of inputs um you know there's I mean, there's just tons of data on this topic and there's even numbers against it. A, um, a group of people will make a better decision 87% of the time than a single person. Um, and then a diverse group will make a better decision than a single person 93 or 94% of the time. I can't, it's somewhere in there. Holy cow. So, so because, you know, you're getting different points of view. So we know that we do better when we're, it's, we take input from lots of people. At the same yeah. time, work is not a vote. Work is not, you know, you could vote on what you want for lunch, but you do not vote on strategy. You do not vote on um, features and benefits. You don't vote on that stuff. You get input and a leader sets a direction and then also puts in the mechanism for the input at the beginning, input halfway through, input, at, you know, mm-hmm. lots of input to say, you know, we thought this was going to happen. Here's what really happened. Do we need to change direction or not? Input, 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 it, and then make a decision. Um, those people who make decisions without put input are, one, will not have a team around them very much longer, and mm-hmm. two, will not make the best decisions all the time. So it is very challenging, particularly, you know, I grew up with my father was a cardiac surgeon. And okay. in our house, please and thank you were implied because, you know, Lee, if I ask for please and thank you in the operating room, someone's going to die on the table. And, you know, I'm like, dad, we're just asking for the salt and pepper. You know, that's what we're <laughs> doing here. But, um, and it's a fair, you know, most of us don't have people's hearts in our hands. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you're a cardiac surgeon, you're asking people around you, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? You know, you're always looking for extra people. Um, and this command and control kind of biz, uh, decision making is really good in critical situations. Really mm. good. Mm. What do we do now, coach? You know, uh, I'm yep. gonna I'm scalpel. I need the scalpel, or we're gonna go to the left because all, all the enemies at the right or whatever it is. Right? Command and control is good for emergencies, but you only get command and control efficiency when you have the trust of your people, and the oh. trust of your people do not come from command and control all the time because most situations do not require command and control. They require uh, people to be invested in what the heck they're doing. And to, in today's world, when companies are not taking care of their people long-term, uh, you know, 
we know this, right? Yep. Of course, people think they're going to have uh, careers that have many more jobs than their parents thought. Uh, because their parents are telling them, do not take a job and stay there for a long time if you're not 30 yet. You know, and if you're 40, make sure you don't stay in the job more than five years because you're going to look old if you get <laughs> out of there. And you're going to be working till you're probably 70, 75 if you're 20 today. So, you know, make sure you have lots of options. So, of course, we want to be in a place where uh, people are engaged and people think they're, that their um, being there matters and that their ideas yep. count. And in this high input, low democracy place, that is where you can, you know, listen hard and then make the decision um, to move forward and so that people will follow you. Uh, I, I have to say thank you because I think you just redefined what I thought of as culture each strategy. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said the high input, low mm-hmm. democracy. Um, yeah. I've, I've never heard that before, but it, it, it's so true. And then you said that strategy is definitely has to be there, but Absolutely. you can only be executed properly if you have a good culture, if you have a good, yeah. uh, you know, a good core group of uh, a team around you that, you know, all believes in the same thing. They have all a similar goal in mind and, and everybody's communicating. You can't have strategy and execute it properly without that. So, um, well, we we're talking about efficiency, right? We're talking, you know, actually culture yeah. is a business decision for efficiency and uh-huh. also a life decision for having a good life. But culture is a business decision for efficiency because uh, when you have efficiency, you have less waste. Uh, and more efficiency equals more communication, which equals more engagement, which equals more input, which means more direction, right? All those things work together. Which leads and to more are, trust. Which leads I mean, to all more those things, right? Just, so when you yeah. think about these companies, there are lots of companies, and I'm in San Francisco, so there's a company uh, that you probably have heard of. You have an app, a car comes, starts with a U. Um, how <laughs> ends much ends with an R, has two syllables. Um <laughs> And so here they are, dominant player, now valued at $45 billion. What could they have been valued at if they didn't have this incredibly toxic culture and had more efficiency and more trust among each other? Can you imagine what they could have mm. done with all that brain power if they'd actually use their brain power for the good of the endeavor of the company? Sorry. Um, if they'd use the good for the company goal instead of the infighting and the sexual harassment and all the things that were happening there. Can you imagine? They would have already be public. They'd be, they would not have failed in so many cities. I mean, oh my gosh. And um, that's why I can't put any, and I just don't trust them because yeah. they yeah. don't, they don't trust themselves. So why am, as a consumer, would I trust that, um, you know, kind of thing. And can you imagine though, if you think about toxic situations where companies are actually making, making, you know, have market share, wow, what could they, what could they do if they didn't, if they weren't so terrible to work for? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, and you know what, it's, that's our our slogan is leading with kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I, it, it, it seems simple enough, but there's so many people or companies out there that are being, run with 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 a very lack of kindness or thoughtfulness and um respect i would just say it's to me uh, kindness um 
Kindness is a challenging word, particularly for a woman to say, you know, mm-hmm. um, because as you know, we're like, oh, they're too soft, whatever. And, you know, come at me, people. Um, yeah. I, think of more as <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't at me. Okay. But I think of it more as respect and respect is mm. kind. You can be respectful and um and ha- you know you can pay- you can be kind and have high ex- have a high expectations and then tell that person they have to leave the company because they're not making things happen right yeah. Um, yeah kindness i think the problem that's not a problem but some people might interpret you saying we lead with kindness oh they're just going to be kind to me if i screw up no actually no we're not going to be kind to you if you screw up if you screw up we're going to show you how to do it better we're going to coach mm-hmm. you and if you keep screwing up there's the door Yes. Um, yeah. Again, it's, it's all expectations. Know, I think expectations. it's all set in expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, what you just said, when I first started this, um, that's exactly what my girlfriend said. Is that, she, Jamie, that she said, Jamie, that sounds soft. Uh-huh. And, well, a man has a easier, has more latitude than a woman on that topic. I just have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really I, think I, so. I, I agree with you. Um, but, but I also think it has, or I shouldn't say, but, and, it has yeah, a exactly. lot to. It has a lot to do with it, the way that things. Um, I take full ownership if there's a failure within the company, no matter who does it. Right. I I take full ownership of that, and then I ask, okay, this is probably because I wasn't clear with something. Right. What's the best way to move forward here, knowing that this was not the right way to go? Or if someone hands something to me, you know, let's let review this. If, if, if I asked you to do this over again, what would you change about it? Mm-hmm. Um, that number one saves time. And number one, it makes them go back and, and, and kind of check up on that stuff. And, and I have to thank Krister uh, Ungerbach for sharing that with me. But I think that's a really neat strategy. And I just think leading with kindness in that way or leading with kindness and respect even, as you yeah. said, um, is probably even a much better way of, of stating that. But yeah, I, 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 I totally agree uh, with what you said there. I think the, you know, when someone gives us work that doesn't match the expectation, the first time it's, uh, this doesn't match our expectation and I'm going to walk through with you one, line by line why it doesn't meet the expectation. And the next time it happens, it's, I'm, this is not ready for me to look at. Go get it yeah. ready for me to look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Save, save you time, right? You know, and, and then, well, because, you know, you have to go step by step at least once, right? But oh, yeah. uh, it only happens once. You say that once and it never happens again. <laughs> yes, that's right. It, again, setting expectations. I, I feel like a broken record, but it's yeah. it seems like every step of the process along the way of any project-based work is continually setting those expectations and reevaluating them. Exactly. You know, expectations, behaviors, and, you know, uh, people need to know what to do when they're not the other thing about that, right. The expectation and behavior around, okay, it's not going well. What do I do? Well, don't hide it. You know, because some people, if you don't say what to do when something goes wrong, people don't know what to do when something goes wrong. <laughs> exactly. And, and no matter if they have 10 years experience or they're just out of college. Exactly. You'll have to let them know what your expectations are. Exactly. Cannot <laughs> over communicate. You know, in marketing, <laughs> well, we used to use the number seven. The number seven was the, the number of times the right person had to hear the right message or see the right message in the right place to understand it. Today, we use the number 37. 
because oh, wow. there's so much coming at us that there's no way for us to absorb everything around us, right? And so I'm not suggesting you have to say something 37 times, but I am suggesting to you that once and done never works in management yeah. and leadership. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would I would attest to that and agree with that as well. Um, I wonder if I may be able to uh, pivot here a little bit before sure. we wrap up today's call because I want to be mindful and respectful of your time. Um, you wrote a book called The Boomerang Principle. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. Sure. The Boomerang Principle is my second book and it's about, the subtitle is um, Inspiring Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And what my publisher made me leave off was the dot, 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 even when they don't work for you. So the boomerang principle is that those companies that um, not only allow but encourage former employees to return to them as employees have a strategic advantage over those that don't. And why that is, is because we know that everyone's going to leave us in shorter periods of time than actually companies were built for. Grass is always greener. Right. Well, and we built companies to, we're always disappointed when people leave us, leave us before we wanted them to leave, right? It's all about yes. our, like, well, you can leave when I tell you to. Well, that's crap. <laughs> but um, uh, if you have a point of view that someone, you know, I tell all my employees the, the first week they're here, I'm like, you're going to leave us. And they're all shocked. I'm just going to leave. You're already talking about me quitting. I'm like, well, it'd be stu- I know when I hire someone, they're going to leave. My hope for you, new person, is that you stay here for a very long time and that, yeah, you never leave. That's my hope, but I'm a pragmatist and I've been doing this for a long time and I know you're going to leave. And what's important for me uh, as the owner and the CEO of this company is that you think that when you left, when you leave here, that double forte is important on your resume and you never take it off because you, you have had a good experience here. You've achieved your professional and personal goals while you were here and you were able to achieve whatever you needed to in this part of your career through the work that we have to offer. We're a very small company. It'd be hubris of me to imagine that I could hold a 23 year old for 18 years. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Because we can't offer everything. Um, But what's important is that when you leave here, that you feel connected to Double Forte and that, um, and when people have left here, I I tell them, and you can come back. And um, we have 27 people today. We've been around for 16 years. In 16 years, we have rehired 11 people and we've rehired four people twice. Um, And the message it sends is that one, the grass ain't that green. And two, at different points in your career, you can have, you can flourish a double forte. Um, And if you just take that expectation of, you know, uh, off the table from at, in day one, you know, we know you're going to leave. Our job is to make it the best place to be so that you stay here longer than you think you're going to stay. And that uh, has driven everything we do in terms of uh, how we, how we treat our people. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for writing that book. I'm going to, I'm going to have to get out there and get it. Boomerang principle. You can find it on Amazon. Find it on Amazon. (laughs) And anywhere else you find books. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) Exactly. Well, there is more. If you go to my website, there's lots of things to download. There's lots of workshops, worksheets you can work on that you can get started on. You don't have to buy the book to get the worksheets. So. And and what is the website? That website is uh, com. L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. And is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap up today's episode? You know, I really love what you're doing because I think culture trumps everything. 
everything, everything, everything. If you have a great business plan, if you have a great idea, if you have um, good money or if you have bad money, if you don't have a good culture, you do not have a future in business. And um, there's nothing more important, nothing more important to understand that everyone can lead and that everyone can follow and that your job is to figure out when, when, when are you following and when are you leading? So fantastic. Well, what you're doing is working. Uh, Congratulations on 16 years. And um, it seems to me that, that uh, everything is looking great for you. I noticed you have some great clients there and, and, uh, and it's just, it's, it seems like a fantastic culture and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share some of your wisdom with me today. I'm so happy to be with you, Jamie, Jamie J. Yeah. <laughs> I got to throw some signs when I say that. I just can't say it without throwing some. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much. I will go ahead and wrap up now. So hold on one quick second. And just want to say thank you uh, again to Lee Carher for jumping on board today and talking about my favorite topic, uh, company culture. Uh, you can learn more by going to double-forte.com. And that's a D-O-U-B-L-E and then a little dash and then F-O-R-T-E dot com and check out what they have going on there. And then uh, Lee, your your other site is Lee Carraher. That's L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. So you can go to those two sites. And then of course, you can go and check out her book on Amazon, The Boomerang Principle, which I think is fantastic. And it's a great way to lead uh, people. We here, um, we have uh, a social media manager here on our team and she, her dream is to be a violinist. And she mm-hmm. is playing in the uh, Manila um, Symphony Orchestra and her wow. dream is to go to Juilliard. And so I, I talk to her about it all the time and I just, I, I hope one day she's able to attend. And I just think it's fantastic to be able to, you know, talk about what's next for people. So I, I really appreciate uh, you sharing uh, the principle there, the boomerang principle that, that was awesome. really insightful. All right. So I'll go ahead and wrap up and uh, say, thank you again, Lee. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So nice to be with you. uh, Yeah, it definitely was. Hold on one quick second. My name is Jamie J, host of Culture Eat Strategy. And uh, we've been talking with Lee Carer of uh, doubleforte.com. So go check it out. We'll put everything in the show notes for you. And don't forget, if you like what you heard or if you didn't like it, Go to iTunes and tell me. Give me a give me a low star <laughs> rating. Give me give me anything. I really enjoy the feedback. I just hope that it's honest and truthful, so that I can continue to prove, uh, provide you with content that that uh, that is going to be something that will help you out. And I really appreciated talking with Lee today. Again, my name is Jamie J. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you again soon.